Thank you, Pastor, and greetings to you all in the name of the Lord. Hope you've had a good day and are ready for this uh, final time together in our spiritual deepening week. Let me take just a moment to extend a really warm, sincere thank you to you for the way you've welcomed us into your community in these days, and we've appreciated so much your gracious hospitality and uh, just the warmth of conversation and uh, your willingness, it seems, to kind of take us as strangers into your hearts. So thank you for that. And we have taken you into ours, and we'll carry a bit of you with us from this place um, as we as we go our separate ways. Boy, there's a lot of anxiety in our world today, isn't there? And we need so much the confidence and peace that the Spirit brings, not only in terms of our walk with Jesus, but in terms of the way we conduct our lives in this world. We ought to be able, as people of faith, as people of the kingdom, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, to conduct our lives even in the midst of the uncertainties and anxieties and stresses and strains of the reality of life in this world, we ought to be able to conduct our lives in such a way that it bears witness to the world that we have a hope <laughs> that is steadfast and sure. And so I hope if, uh, if nothing else in our time together, we will have reminded one another of that and strengthened one another in it to the glory of God. Well, as we've been thinking about this whole idea of the life you were meant to live and looking at various places throughout the New Testament, a couple places in the Gospels, a couple places in Paul's writings, I'd like to guide our attention tonight to uh, <laughs> one of my favorite texts. Now, I don't know, when a pre whenever a preacher says that, it means very little. Uh, because we have, yeah, we tend to have so many of them, but uh, th this really is. I mean, the whole of the book of Romans is so important to me, but especially these middle chapters, five, six, seven, eight, right in there. And I want to focus in tonight on chapter six, Romans chapter six, and we're going to begin our reading together tonight at verse fifteen. And uh, along the way, I'll try to set some of the context uh, for this. But as you're able, I would invite you to stand with me as we hear together the word of the Lord. Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 15. So, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does this mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that whatever you choose to obey becomes your master? You can choose sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God and receive his approval. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you have obeyed with all your heart the new teaching God has given you. Now you are free from sin. Your old master, and you have become slaves to your new master, righteousness. Now, I speak this way using the illustration of slaves and masters because it's easy to understand. Before, you let yourselves be slaves of impurity and lawlessness, but now you must choose to be slaves of righteousness so that you'll become holy. In those days, when you were slaves of sin, 
You weren't concerned, concerned with doing what was right. And what was the result? It wasn't good. Since now you are ashamed of the things you used to do that end in eternal doom. But now, but now, you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves to God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and to eternal life because the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, it's true, life in this world can bind and chain us in a thousand different ways. There are chains of uh, social status, chains of poverty, chains of shame, chains of fear, chains of addiction, chains of abuse. I don't really know anyone who's ever experienced bondage to anything who does not long to be free. The amazing thing is that even when that freedom finally comes, it's often surprisingly hard for us to remain free. Several years ago, I I read with real interest a report that was in the Chicago Tribune. The correspondent was interviewing um, an Afghan woman, and this was in the years not long after uh, all the events that took place, you know, about 20 years ago or so. But the reporter was wondering at that point why it was, and a few years after the war and all, but wondered why so many women in Afghanistan were continuing to wear the burqas, you know, the full body coverings that were mandated by the Taliban. Even though, by their own testimony, they didn't like them and uh, weren't, at that point, were no longer forced to wear them. He just wondered, why do you keep doing that? And in response, one Afghan woman said to him, we have lived in darkness for so long that now we are afraid of the light. It really struck me. And why would I be telling you that? Because it struck me as something of an apt picture of what I think can happen to Christians. And it lies at the heart of what we've been trying to say in these series of services and messages that we've had together. Let me just remind us, the foundational premise of these messages together and this time together is just simply this, that I believe, I think you do too, with all of my heart, mind, and soul, and strength, that there's enough power in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ to transform our lives and to truly free us from the things that can so easily entangle us. If I didn't believe that with every fiber of my being, I'd have gone home several days ago. <laughs> there, it'd, be, it'd just be so much silliness for us to gather up like this and be talking about what God wants to do in our midst. And I, and I want to assure you also that I don't say that because I was taught to say it through my education and all of that. I say it on the basis of God's word, and I say it out of the testimony of my own life. I know personally that God in Christ is able to free us from sin, 
thanks be to God. But I gotta tell you, as I've alluded to probably already, that so often my, I find my heart being heavy for us as a people. You know, part of my job in this world, as it is, I guess, for any pastor or whatever, is, is to try and keep our finger somewhat on the pulse beat of God's people. Can I tell you that sometimes it's hard to get a pulse? It's, it's sometimes pretty weak. And, and the way I've been trying to say it during this week is that so many of us as Christians at times live so far beneath our privilege in Christ, not really living fully into and up to and fully embraced by all that God really wants to do in our lives. And I, and I don't think it's because we don't want the gifts of God. I, I don't think it's because we don't want to be free. I know we do. But I do think it has everything to do with how easy it is to allow our lives to be shaped and guided by the values of this culture that surrounds us and is so pervasive in our lives rather than by the values and priorities of the kingdom of God. That, that's, okay, I'm gonna meddle now, but preacher, you know, you know. That's why it's so critical we get together like this. That's why it's so essential that we don't go this alone. We can't. I mean, we're together, you know, I don't know, what? A couple hours a week or something? You know, not that much, really. Well, and now they say the average, you know, churchgoer in America shows up about 1.7 Sundays a month, as if that's regular or something now. <laughs> and, and I don't, please don't mishear me. It's not about a legalistic, you know, punching my ticket, being there every time the door, that's not what that's about. It's just about the sheer fact we really do need one another. We really do. Because the values and priorities of this world are so pervasive, we need to be reminded as we gather together around God's word and in worship and by the power of the Spirit to align our lives according to the values and priorities of the inbreaking kingdom of God in Christ Jesus. Um, when we fail to live fully under the lordship of Jesus, then it's no surprise that we would be turned into what, what one theologian called uh, people of omnivorous desire who no longer knowing which desires are best merely grasp at everything. Does that sound familiar? So we need realignment. We need a way of living that's opposite of that, the way of living to which Jesus called us, calls us so that the power of what it means to be the people of God and to live the way and to walk the way of Jesus in this world remains active and powerful and present, engaged in this world. See, I, I do think that in the life of the church of Jesus Christ, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm obviously reflecting uh, the culture that we know in terms of North American culture here. The, the truth is there is tremendous revival going on some places in the world, especially the global south. God's really on the move in some powerful ways in the global south, thanks be to God. But for us, in the culture in which we find ourselves, it seems that there's this, what, I, what I've called a, a, a huge power failure. And the reason is that we're not always doing well 
standing firm in what is true and right in the midst of a compromised, chaotic culture. And it makes me wonder if as God's people, we really do believe what God's word says. We give affirmation to it, lip service to it, but is it really finding its way into our daily lives? So over and over again, we've seen in these texts that we've been looking at during this week that when the Bible speaks of what happens to us when we receive Christ Jesus as our Savior, it uses some pretty remarkable words. Words like transformed, changed, made new, resurrection, that's a big word, (laughs) freedom, holiness, those are big words. And that's precisely what Paul's talking about in our text for tonight. Now here, he puts the whole thing, as we heard, in terms of slavery, kind of an interesting way to think about it. This follows really what really is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, the first part of Romans chapter six, where Paul says that when we come to Christ by faith and we are baptized into Christ, we are, you know what that picture is, we are buried When we go back into the water, right, we are buried into the old way of life and brought, we are lifted up and raised up into a whole new way of life. It's why it's so wonderful when we celebrate baptism together. Pastor and I were telling baptism stories last night. Preachers tell baptism stories. Did you know that? Because they're some of the greatest stories ever. So, Gary, I heard, I heard about what happened when y'all got locked out of the baptistry. And evidently, Pastor Gary went crawling over the side here. Does anybody remember that? You know, so he could get in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of stuff happens. I told Pastor, one of my, I should, tell, I should tell you my second favorite baptism story. I don't know, maybe I won't. My first favorite baptism story is when Dan came to be baptized. And I looked up. And I saw not a man in a white robe like everybody else was. I saw a man standing there about ready to come down into the water wearing his, I don't know, $1,000, $2,000 Armani suit, white shirt, tie, leather shoes, the whole thing. And he came walking down into the water. And everybody kind of gasped, and I looked at him with disbelief. And he said to us, This represents everything I've been giving my life to. It needs to go down. (laughs) So can you imagine what happened in that crowd when I laid him back under the water and brought him up a soaking wet mess (laughs) in that expensive suit? It was a glorious moment. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying is happening It has happened and is happening in our lives when we, by faith, identify as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by faith, not only do we experience the physical reality of baptism in that wonderful, glorious sacrament, but in every way you can imagine we die to an old way of life and are raised to the possibility of a whole new way of life. Shouldn't that show up in how we live Shouldn't that actually have some (laughs) impact and effect in how we live our lives? Now, through Christ, sin no longer owns us. Thanks be to God. 
We belong to Christ. We have been freed from the grip of sin. We embrace now, the way Paul puts it, a new kind of slavery, if you will. We recognize a new master. It's it's not of compulsion, but of love. Paul says it's a slavery to righteousness. We we probably need to unpack that just a little bit. First of all, I want to make sure you know what I mean and what I think the Bible means when we talk about sin. Because maybe what comes to your mind when you hear the word sin is certain behavior or behaviors. Do you know the Bible really does not frame sin as a moral category in the sense of a list of prohibited actions, do's and don'ts, you know, all that? We tend to think of it that way. The Bible really doesn't think of it that way. The essence of sin is when the human mind and heart turns in on itself. It's when we live under the sovereignty of our own will and desires rather than under the sovereignty of God. That's what it was for Adam and Eve. That's what it's been ever since. That's what it continues to be for us. That's the heart of it, the essence of it. Now, sure, that issues in all manner of life decisions and things that get to be problematic, of course, but those are symptomatic of what's really at the heart of all this. So this whole discussion of the life you were meant to live, the issue really is much deeper than just figuring out how to just, you know, kind of eliminate certain behaviors from our life that we think aren't helping us very much or may not be pleasing to God or that. It's not, it's not wrong to do that, think that way, but there's something deeper going on than that. It's all about the total orientation of our lives under the Lordship of Jesus. I love the way Oswald Chambers puts it when he says that when we come to the place of yielding our life completely to Christ and allowing the sanctifying work of his spirit to have its way with us, that part of what happens in his language is that the the mainspring of our lives gets turned from self to Savior. I mean, so, you know, the way we're wound, (laughs) The thing that makes us tick, that makes us move and live and have our being, it gets turned from a self-orientation to an orientation that is utterly under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I think that's why Paul puts it as he does. You're going to either, it's a simple choice, well, It's a basic choice, maybe not simple. (laughs) You're either gonna be a slave to sin or by God's grace, you can be a slave to righteousness. Bob Dylan said something about it. You're gonna serve somebody, (laughs) right? We know that's true. But, but, it's, but it's important to realize that the two slaveries that Paul's contrasting here are not equal and opposite because the motivation is entirely different. If we find ourselves enslaved to sin, it's because we want what we want and there isn't nobody, including God, going to stand in our way. But when we're enslaved to righteousness, 
the motivation's entirely different then. It's a motivation of love where in grateful response, what else would we do but align our lives totally under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Do you see the difference? the, The shift gets to be, I'm not just trying to be a good boy so that God will like me. I'm not just trying to really uh, screw up enough courage and discipline to, you know, do all the right things that the church and God want me to do so that, every, so that I'll be okay with God and the church and everybody else. Oh, what a terrible way to live. No, it's different. It's, it's the fact that when God does his loving work of cleansing and forgiveness and transformation deep in my heart. What's my response to that? What else would it be than out of deep gratitude to say, God, you just show me what to do and I'll do it. You show me where to go and I'm there. (laughs) You, You speak the word and I'll say yes. It's out of gratitude. See the difference? It's out of deep love and gratitude that this, that this happens. So that becoming a, a Christian, becoming a, a person, a holy person, <laughs> is not just one piece of an otherwise self-oriented life. I think one of the challenges we have in our time is the compartmentalization of our lives, where we've got our work life over here, and our social life over here, and our entertainment life over here, and our church life over here, and you know, and they don't necessarily connect. Which is why we can come around, you know, one another, and we all assume everybody's whatever, and there might not be a correspondence in the rest of our lives. No, we're talking about a whole life integration in the merciful love of the Father who in Christ has forgiven and healed and is making us new. Now I know, I've been been around this long enough to know that it's one thing to say all that in the safety of a setting like this. (laughs) And I think most of you, pretty sure most of you gathered here under the sound of my voice tonight would say yes and amen. That's true. We believe that. Amen. But what Paul, part of what Paul's warning us against here is a, a mindset, an attitude that seems to have found new life in our time. You see, as, as Paul was earlier laying out how it is we're saved by God's mercy, by God's grace, not by our own good works, he could just imagine some in the congregation to whom he's writing and others that he knew saying something like, well, that's good news. If God is full of grace, if he's nothing but grace, if he's full of mercy, well then, woohoo! doesn't really matter how we live because <laughs> God's just always gonna be merciful and forgiveness no matter what. I hear that now in our time. I hear that seriously put forward as an understanding of what God's grace means. In fact, he takes it even further by asking the question we heard in verse 15. So, should we just go on sinning so that there can be more grace? Grace can increase? You heard his answer. It's passionate, it's definitive. 
strong. Megenata are the Greek words. <laughs> They're almost impossible to translate. By no means, or the King James has it, God forbid. But I'd suggest to us, brothers and sisters, that this is precisely the mindset of our age. In much of our popular Christian music, in Christian books, TV, radio, in pulpits across the land, one of, the, one of our favorite proclamations seems to be, God accepts you just as you are. No, don't worry. God, God accepts you just as you are. Now, it's true. It's true. It's absolutely true. God does accept you right as you are, right where you are. God does not say, now you get this fixed and that fixed and this cleaned up before you come to me. That's a misunderstanding of who God is. God doesn't do that. But dear loved ones, make no mistake, God has no earthly intention of leaving you where you are but of taking you where you are and helping you by his grace to grow up in Jesus. Life in Christ ought to be marked by a sense of growth and life and maturity in Christ. So, in verse 19, Paul says, that's why, as you used to offer the parts of your body as instruments to impurity, now here's what you do. Take your whole self. So not, not just like your spiritual side, but everything about you, your mental capacity, your emotional life, your spiritual bearing, your very physical body, your way of conducting your life in this world. Take it all and bring it to God as an offering offered up to him in righteousness. So, Christian, here's the question. To whom are you offering yourself on a daily basis? There are lots of options, you know. To whom are you offering yourself on a daily basis? Um, see, I, I'm worried about you. Well, I don't, you know, I don't mean you because I don't really know you, but I'm, but I'm worried about you, meaning us <laughs> as the people of God. I'm concerned about us. We, we, have, we have so much to do as God's people in our time and in this place. We really do. And yet, do we have capacity to accomplish the work that the Lord has given us to do? God means in Christ to redeem all things to himself. And God is inviting, has invited, and is inviting us to participate with God in that very work. So that's why our ministry, which goes way beyond the jobs we have here at church, it means everything I do in the conduct of my life, that's why it matters so much. So let me tell you, <laughs> specifically what I worry about. 
and, and I know I'm going to, I know I'm going to overgeneralize here, but for the sake of making the point, you see, I, I worry that you have no margin in your life from which to serve people. You've believed this world that you've got to do this and that and have this and that and pursue the good life and you've packed in your life like an overpacked suitcase and there's just no room, no margin from which to be able when you recognize, oh, there's a need over there. Oh, there's some folk over here that need my help. There's just no margin from which to respond. You're overloaded. Why? Who are we listening to? Who are we pursuing? Who are we really allowing to shape our lives? The values and priorities of this world or the values and priorities of the kingdom of God? Second, I I worry that you gauge your life by how you feel rather than by what is true. A feelings-oriented life will always end in disappointment. Now, please, I'm not suggesting that we ought not to attend to emotion and feeling. We should. But it's not the driver. A truth-oriented life leads to peace. Third, I worry that there's no space in your life where God can meet you and shape your mind and heart. We've talked about this this week. You don't read his word. You talk about praying, but you know, you don't really pray. Now relax, breathe, breathe. Breathe. I'm overgeneralizing, but wherever it applies. Four, I worry that our culture's obsession with sex is eating away at your very soul. It may feel exciting when you're consuming lust but it will always leave you feeling empty. And there will come a time when suddenly you'll realize there's nothing left. What this world is selling you is a lie. And five, This is it. I'm done after this. I worry that you're robbing God and thinking nothing of it. And what I mean is, every time we fail to surrender our resources fully to God, every time we hold back and say, well, Lord, you know, somebody else needs to take care of that. Somebody else has more capacity for that than I do. Lord, things are pretty tight over here, you know. Every time we take that kind of posture, 
over what we think belongs to us. Did you hear me? What we think belongs to us. I got news, it doesn't. Every time we hold back, there's a little more distance, a little more desire to hide. Can you hear me? I know, I know, that doesn't apply to everybody. Maybe none of that applies to you. I'm just asking, is there anywhere in that kind of a brief survey where the Spirit of God would tap you on the shoulder and say, son, daughter, we need, we need to talk about this because it's, it's creating a barrier between me and you. And we need to deal with it. We need to work with it. There's a decision to be made. And it might be time to make a decision. I can't, I can't imagine a better time, really, that some of us, maybe, and again, I don't want to assume one thing about who's here. It could be that there's someone here who needs to make the decision, maybe for the very first time, to invite Jesus Christ into your life and take control to forgive you of your sins, to become your Lord, your Savior, the forgiver and leader of your life. That's the very best decision you could ever make in the whole history of your life, let me just tell you. And there, there'd just be no better time than now. <laughs> to, to, not because, of, don't listen to me, not because of anything I'm saying, but because that what you're sensing, if, if your heart's beating a little fast in that right now, that's the, that's the spirit of the Lord who's saying, I'm trying to get your attention. I love you so much. I'm trying to get your attention. Come on. Just say yes. Some of you just need to maybe say yes and collapse into the arms of a loving Savior. <laughs> Finally, and let go. There might be some others of us who have been walking with Jesus, but we've never really come to the place of full surrender of our lives, full consecration of our whole lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Do you know that's another thing than, than, than simply the act of confessing Christ as our Savior, receiving his forgiveness, knowing that we belong to him, the hope of heaven, all that. Thanks be to God, it's all true. But for most Christians on the journey, we come to realize that actually, you know what? My need for God's grace actually goes much deeper than just forgiveness for the things I might have done wrong. I need God actually to change something way down deep in me to kind of turn that mainspring of my life, to sort of reorient my whole way of living. And in the Church of the Nazarene, we have a word for, we have a phrase for that. We call it the sanctified life. And, and, and what it means is we come to that place of recognition that I need God to do a deeper work in me of cleansing and empowering and enabling me to truly live the life of Jesus in this world. It, it's entirely by God's grace that it happens, that it's accomplished. But by his grace, I come before him and say, okay, Lord, here it is, everything.
My whole past, it's all yours. My present, everything that's true about me right now, belongs to you. You can do with it whatever you want. My future, for some of us, that might be the big part. You can direct me, turn me, take me wherever you want to go. It is yours. It's just a big old yes to the will and way of God, wherever that would take me. And here's what God does. God comes by the power and presence of his Holy Spirit and does a profound work in you. That's not once and for all, all time done. It's not about making you flawless. You know, you don't be, so we're not, this isn't about becoming precious moments figures to be displayed up on a shelf somewhere, you know, like, oh, look at my saints over here. It's not about that. But it is about an on-ramp to the highway of holiness, as Jerry Porter likes to say, (laughs) that launches us then on a lifelong journey of going deeper and deeper in our walk with Jesus and learning more and more and being formed more and more deeply in the character of Christ. I'm just saying to us that in a time like this, in a week like this, when we've been trying to give ourselves in this Lenten season to the focus of spiritual deepening. I would submit to you that there's not one of us in this room tonight, including me, who doesn't have a decision to make. You know why? Because the risen Christ is here. And he's, if I may be kind of anthropomorphic about it, he's, <laughs> he's, he's doing this. He's saying, come on. Come on, don't stop. Don't get stuck. Don't think you've got it figured out. (laughs) Come on, let's go deeper. It's worth it. It's worth everything. It's, here's what it is. It's the life you were meant to live. Tonight, we have the privilege of responding to this good news by coming to the table of the Lord. Pastor's going to lead us in just a moment, but let me just make the transition by saying it's just so appropriate that we would do this. Do you know why? It's because when we come to the table of our Lord, we believe that by the power of the Spirit, Christ, the risen Christ, is present at his table. So, I mean, what I just said quite literally is true. Jesus is here with his arms outstretched saying, come on. (laughs) And when we come to the table, we're not only remembering what Jesus did for us in the cross and the resurrection. We do remember. But there is also grace that is being given to us in this moment. This is a means of grace. It's a means by which God delivers to us and gives to us as his people grace that we need in order to walk this way of Jesus. So in in my home church, we we do this very often. And boy, I'll tell you, I've come come to the place in my life where I just, as soon as I know we're getting close to the moment of the table, I just fairly want to jump out of my seat and run. Maybe that's what we ought to do. Just run <laughs> and say, oh, yes. 
And we don't, we don't ever come and take, we don't take communion, by the way. <laughs> we don't grasp at this. It's a gift. It's nothing but a gift. So we come with a posture of, yes, yes, Jesus, I receive. So as pastor leads us and as we come to the table, use this, use this opportunity as a moment to respond to whatever the Holy Spirit might be saying to you at the close of this special week.